There's no place in the world like Rodeo Drive. I'm Pari Eason, your host. And I'm your field correspondent, Jason E.C. Wright. Welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. Fashion used to be separated into women's wear and men's wear. Today, however, it's much more gender fluid. It's really about a movement of pleasing yourself and being self-aware and not, you know, hindering who your true self is. And I think clothing is like one of the first ways you can express that. And that is what clothing has always done. Nicole Chapiteau is fashion director for Vanity Fair, which is the manual for Hollywood and fashion so perfectly in sync with Rodeo Drive. We'll talk about her approach to the editorial pages of the magazine and about dressing and expressing identity in daily life and on a celebrity photo shoot. (laughs) That'll be a very interesting conversation. Speaking of ideas of identity and representation, I joined Kathy Gohari, president of the Rodeo Drive Committee, on to Rodeo Drive. We checked out how some of the leading fashion houses and luxury brands are embracing today's non-binary influences. We started at Versace the perfect place to explore ways of expressing yourself to the fullest. Hi, Kathy. Here we are on Tour Deo once again. And uh, we're here in front of Versace. I know that Perry's going to be talking a bit more about power dressing and androgyny, but Versace's been doing this for years. You look back Way before people knew what it even was, right? And it's one of those things that you see it in the most recent runway show with all of the suits and like the very like strong colors and, and shapes, but you also felt that fluidity of like, this is androgynous, this is male, this is female, but Gianni, Donatella, they've been doing this for a very long time. What's the history of Versace with Two Rodeo? Well, I believe it was one of the very first major fashion brands that came on board. I think it was Versace and Gianfranco Ferre. Mm. So, I mean, look at the structure that you see here in Tu Rodeo. There's no mistaking what this story is. If you take a look at it, it's all identity. It's all in the pillars. And in every aspect of this building, it basically tells you that you have arrived at Versace. Absolutely. That's one of the things about the architectural styles within yes. Two Rodeo that are different. I know we've talked about this in previous seasons of the podcast, how they really wanted to make sure that every boutique had its own different identity from an aesthetic, from, you know, the balustrades yes. to, like, these Roman and Greek columns that you see here. Like, Versace has a sense of stature in place, but it still feels very... Italian plopped right here into Tu Right, Rodeo. truly, like like basically Godzilla picked it up from Italy and dropped it at Tu Rodeo or something. Absolutely, I'm, there's so many palazzos in Italy, I don't think anyone's missing this It's going to miss this one, right? <laughs> yeah. And looking at the windows here of Versace, you can see very clearly our theme for the day, which is androgyny and the fluidity of gender. You know what, way before we even knew what gender fluid was... Johnny was doing it, Mm -hmm. and he has continued with that message, which Donatella has taken the torch and carried it to where we are today. Just looking at this window, I think you and I will both want mine to have that overcoat right there, right? absolutely correct. And then look at that denim jacket on the inside. So right here, out of three outfits, two of them will look completely fashionable and work on both of us. Absolutely, but very different. But I do believe that both of us would probably walk away with the bags and still be able to pull that off. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, for sure. Looking across the way is Shinobi. Let's let's take a look over there. Very exciting for Tu Rodeo. I mean, this store, in my opinion, has absolutely upped the cool value of Tu Rodeo, even more so. 
I mean, I'm almost positive looking at these displays, you and I will still be fighting over pieces in here. And their whole concept was, what would James Bond wear on his weekend off? Yeah. And to that extent, what would any of the Bond girls wear from his closet? And so that was one of the fun things that they were able to do. The footwear that they have, they source and manufacture in Japan so that any woman that wants to get those shoes, there's a size available for them, as well as a blue sawn or two to uh, borrow from the boys, as it were. Borrow? I'm keeping mine. <laughs> there's no borrowing here. Absolutely. But, and again, just in this short few years, look at where they've come. Absolutely. The I amount mean, of people who don't are not familiar with it or one side, but how about the amount of fan following yes. that have brought him to this location? They have absolutely expanded their audience. It seems to have made it very, very clear that almost everybody can walk in there and walk out with something. Well, except for that bag, that one's mine. Ah, oh, see, here we go again. <laughs> Already we are at it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll beat you to it and see who will get the bag. Well. If you're talking about speed, I think the people that hold that record will be across the way at Porsche Design. Speaking of Porsche Design, I believe you just got a new car, didn't you? You know what? Who says that Porsche is only for the boys? Ooh. I think ladies look much better behind the wheel. So these days, you and I will even be fighting over our cars. Or at least the parking spot. But the good mm -hmm. thing about Porsche Design is there's a whole world of products. Like they do travel goods. They yes. have great leather goods. Their watch collection is absolutely fantastic. And it's all designed with the same engineering that Porsche applies to In their every vehicles. Aspect. To these consumer goods, which means they're available for anyone to be able to take. But seeing a woman in a men's leather motorcycle jacket so cool. designed that way, I mean... So cool. There's, there's only so many things you can do before it's taken from you and, uh, and a woman makes it look better. And, of course, the sunglasses. Talk about yeah. cool factor, right? And, and you need it when you're on two-rodeo drive because you're outside. It's al fresco. You get the sun. You get the wind from the Los Angeles climate. And it's just such a transformative yeah. place to be. And it almost makes you wonder, how fast could you get out of Porsche design and into your Porsche car? You know what? In 3.2 seconds. <laughs> well, if we're going to keep timing things, we should probably walk around the corner and uh, talk about the watch world over at West Time. Wow, yes, we must. So here we are at West Time, and mm. I think you made a point about the timing of our mm -hmm. conversation today. Yeah, you know, we have been having a good time here at Tour Rodeo. I'm fighting over pieces left and right. But pretty much the main point of this conversation is that you and I can enjoy the same pieces. The world is our oyster. Mm -hmm. And again, when it comes to watches, same thing. Absolutely. The scarcity of watches, I strongly believe it's because women have entered and now there's no more men's watch or women's watches. Absolutely. They're all going for the same pot. Not to mention the fact that a lot of the men's watches that have been traditionally categorized as uh -huh. a men's watch look much better on a smaller wrist and yeah. some of us that are fans of vintage watches yes. like myself I prefer a much smaller watch face so I'm normally picking through the lots that are the smaller watches there or the go. women's watches like the 39 and millimeters I go, and I go for the 41 millimeter of there course. you go and that's how that and works and I want it as big as possible because of my thin wrist I really appreciate a bigger watch mm -hmm. so why not there, well, that's a perfect example right there well now that we've spent our time wrapping up at a space mm -hmm. about time. A good segue from that is to talk about how jewelry has always been a place where people have found that habit that we just talked about of making yes. something your own, like Tiffany & Co. One of the first anchor tenants here at Two Ordeo Drive back in the 90s, and 
across the street. You have Pomelado. What other jewelry spaces should we be looking for when people come to visit these cobblestones? You know, there seems to be everywhere you look right now fine jewelry in mm. very creative new modern ways all over the place as you mentioned Tiffany's if we look at the Hollywood red carpet events these days mm-hmm. you see men wearing chunky huge diamonds yes. on their lapels or around their neck or wearing huge humongous I want one in the future tennis bracelets <laughs> and sometimes they have them stacked mm-hmm. this is something that girls used to do but right now everybody does it as you go by Peter Marcos between from left to right mm-hmm. it is no longer for she or for he right it's for they correct there's room for everyone to grab whatever correct. they want as long as they get there in time as long as you show them the card mm-hmm. that's all it can be yours I, lo- I love that show them the card thank you Kathy it's always a pleasure to walk these streets with you the pleasure is mine let's go shopping that was Kathy Gohari president of the Rodeo Drive committee I'm Jason E.C. Wright now over to you Perry Jason, thank you. That's the perfect setup to my interview with Nicole Chapiteau, in which we talked about the freedoms in dressing. Since 2019, she has been the fashion director of Vanity Fair, and she has styled actors, politicians, and cultural figures. I love the fun Chapiteau is having in her work. And Vanity Fair understands and celebrates the synergy between Hollywood and fashion, just as Rodeo Drive does. It held its famed Oscar party in Beverly Hills this year, and the Hollywood issue and its cover make a splash every year. That's right. And my first question was, how does Nicole approach the task of styling people, especially actors who we think we know from their films? It is all about like personality with like a touch of glam or and glitz and really just honing in on who the individual is. For actors and musicians, they're, they're constantly playing a part. And I think that the reader or the viewer, when they're watching them on screen, thinks that they're the actual person. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you kind of come to Vanity Fair, so you learn about who they are themselves and not the the roles they portray. So I like to, for the most part, really like drive in their personality into the shoot, as opposed to what I think that they should look like. It should really be collaborative and showing a personality. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like an unfolding of the of the true person. Like how many times have you watched a movie and there's like someone's playing a bad guy and you're just like, I hate that actor. I'm so mad of at course. them. But like, that's <laughs> not who they are. I <laughs> so know. I think that is a good way. <laughs> yeah, it's really good acting. But you want to come to Vanity Fair to see who they are as a person and why you've fallen in love with them as an actor because they're just really able to separate who their true personalities are into playing these roles. Right. So the recent collections, both for men and women, have focused on androgynous and genderless styles. Versace in particular demonstrated some ideas of the power of the suit and genderless tailoring. How did you respond to that collection and others? I think it's great. I've noticed that like over the decades, fashion kind of plays in and out with androgyny. Before, I feel like I noticed it was more like, I want to say like traditional men's clothing were just put on women. And now it's just really getting mixed in there. It's like, hey, a man can wear a pink suit. He can wear a skirt. It doesn't really matter. Like, do wear what makes you happy, vice versa for women. Like, wear a herringbone and suit with a tie and like wear the full thing. Like, you don't need for there to be a... A suit made for a woman. You could just go and shop the men's section if you want to. So I really like 
I love that about Versace. Mew Mew did that as well. There was just like some pieces that came down that you just wanted, you're like, oh, are they introducing men's? And I'm like, does it matter if they're introducing men's? It's, right. it's anyone can wear it. They're letting you know that anyone can wear these pieces. As my daughter has once told me, like, gender is a social construct and it doesn't matter. Just wear what you oh, want to wear. love her. <laughs> Do you see this evolving shift as a reflection of a larger cultural movement? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, there will always be people who push against it, but it's really about a movement of pleasing yourself mm-hmm. and being self-aware and not, you know, hindering who your true self is. And I think clothing is like one of the first ways you can express that. Like even if you think about people who had to wear uniforms to school, they were always finding a way to like inject a little bit of themselves in there. And that yeah. was through clothing. Like whether it was like, I'm going to wear my sock a little different or like, you know, tuck my Those shirt in differently. Like, Yeah, it's like, okay, I I have to wear this uniform, but let me figure out a way to make sure I'm able to express myself. And that is what clothing has always done. Yeah, I like the idea of dopamine dressing, like dressing for your joy or your pleasure, your Mm -hmm. happiness. I think there's so much power in that. And then I also, too, I think that that was really ushered in by the younger generation of designers like Telfar and Ekpaslata, Wales Bonner. You know, I think that they, by removing gender binaries they were able to use clothing as more of an art form and people just walking down the street being happy of what they're wearing like I love clothes so much sometimes I'll be on a shoot and I'll be like I'll see something in person and I start freaking out I'm like this is so beautiful and it just like makes me really happy it makes me so happy and I I want everyone to have that joy I know you're a veteran in the accessories industry and you have an expertise in jewelry. What are your thoughts on jewelry as a playground for gender fluidity? I love jewelry so much. And in particular, my favorite thing to do on a shoe is to put pieces of jewelry that have been traditionally identified as for women on men. Like I love a diamond necklace, a Riviera necklace on a man, pearls. I feel like that's something that like is now you're starting to see a lot more of. It doesn't matter. It's jewelry. It's beautiful. It should not just be for women. Pearls are so sexy on men. It's like incredible looking. Like a pearls, a drop earring. Like let everyone have the chance. It does not, you know, if you're a guy who like you deem yourself as very masculine, it does not take away your masculinity to be wearing a pearl necklace. Or a diamond choker is not has nothing to do with who you are. It just like looks cool, so go for it. I agree, and I like I love brooches on men too. Oh, I've used so many brooches. Like it's just it's just like a way of adornment. And if you look back in history at like old photos and paintings, men used to wear a lot more jewelry that had. I don't know where when it took a turn where they've decided like this jewelry is too feminine. And the same thing with watches, like vice versa for for women. They're like, oh, it's so masculine. Like, but why? Who made up these rules? They're like ridiculous rules that need to be broken and have been being broken within the fashion industry. So as a black woman at the top of the fashion industry, how do you make sure that people of color whose image and identity have been historically underrepresented are seen and celebrated? I don't know that I make sure, but I... I can only just voice my opinion. I can Mm -hmm. say whether I think 
there's not enough diversity happening in the casting. There's not enough diversity happening in the clothing choices. I, I make a point to my team and to whoever I'm working with to say something. And I, I have a really great editor in chief who is also a woman of color. So I think she really understands that, that you, if you say like, well, I don't, I don't feel like we have enough black women in this casting. She'd be like, oh, let's go back to the drawing board. And, and it's no big deal. And I'm at a place in my career where I can use my voice and not feel afraid to. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at. <laughs> so you frequent Beverly Hills, and I assume it's important to be able to capture and translate the mood and feel for the magazine. What are your thoughts on Rodeo Drive as a fashion inspiration? Okay, I can speak to my most recent trip to Rodeo Drive. I was with my best friend, and we were standing there like, every every store has a line, number one. It's, it's like, exciting to see. Like, people are out shopping. Like, it's great. I love it because I am such a New Yorker. I've never lived anywhere else. And I just feel like Rodeo Drive is just, like, a little bit different. It's a little bit more playful. It's, I feel like you're getting, like, not the not so serious New Yorker in black. And like, I'm going in here on a mission where Rodeo Drive to me, maybe that's because I'm a New Yorker feels like a movie. Like it's like Elle Woods meets um, Clueless, like at all times, like everyone's happy and shopping and there's shopping (laughs) bags everywhere. And there's lots of color. And I think because the weather tends to be nice all year round, you're seeing more fashion, like, like really playful fashion and like not lots of coats. So I I love looking at it. I love the people watching, but I'm just like, who are all these people there? They have all these shopping bags. Like it always looks like pretty woman when she's walking out with like all of those shopping bags. I'm like, where are they going? (laughs) I'm curious too, how your Hollywood issue cover, like this most recent one, how does that come together? I mean, with eight different, or how many covers did you say that there were? Oh my gosh. I, I, you know what? I've forgotten. It's like a weird thing that we'll do as editors. Like we've worked on it and then like we've, we have like tunnel vision forward, but like, I know I've moved on. It's the only way to survive, right? We had one, eight, we had eight covers. Wow. It's like, we, we meet a lot to discuss it. You know, we, we have, for our last two, we had a really great team, Maurizio and Pier Paolo, on board to do the photography. And also Katie Grand, I called in to style. And just working together and like what we want our concept to be that year and, and meeting a lot about it, who the talent, the talent team brings their list of people. I'm coming with like, here's some really great fashion. Let me connect with Katie about it and see, you know, what she wants to do, how she wants to make this picture. And Maurizio and Pierpello, because they're also artists, have come up with lots of different sketches and ideas for us to go through of how they think the cover should look. And so it's just, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but it's yeah, really fun and it's really exciting because the end product is just, makes a big splash and like everyone feels good and it's, it's like visually really stimulating. Oh, I can only imagine. Well, thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate you speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That was Nicole Chapiteau. I'm Parry Eason. And I'm Jason E.C. Wright. On the next episode, Rodeo Drive brings in the summer in style. Could be a dog's day afternoon. There will actually be an exhibition made specifically for canines where they will climb up this little red carpet ramp and then you will be able to stand with your dog and have someone else take the picture. 
Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. To Rodeo Drive, the Heyman Family, Beverly Wilshire, Four Seasons Hotel, the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau, and MCM. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton with editing and videography by Hans Fjolstad. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Grace Fu is the production assistant. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See See you on on the street. street.